0: The first question again, uh, where did the name Mark Snow come from? (laughs) Um,
1: When I first went to California and had my first job, I had a contract with a music with a record group in New York and when they heard that I might have some work in California they wrote me and said if you do any work out there you owe us commission. Um, so, and if you don't, we'll basically sue you or worse. I don't know. So, uh, I went to a music lawyer and I told him the problem and he said, well, it's easy. Just change your name. And in six months when the contract is over, you can go back to your real name. And I said, okay, and that's what happened. And I changed my name and, um, This thing I I did was successful, and I thought, well, wow, maybe I am Mark Snow, for real. So I changed it legally, and why I chose that name was my real name was Martin Fulterman, and I shortened Martin to Mark, and I always loved the singer Phoebe Snow, so I took that and noticed when the composer credits went through the crawl, it was very quick, and if you had a really long name, people might not get it. But Mark Snow—that's pretty to the point and simple. Mm-hmm. So that's how that happened.
2: Please tell us something about your musical education. Hmm.
1: Well, I uh, my father was a drummer, and I took up the drums—not seriously, but enough that I was I was pretty good, which pretty good with later led me to be able to play drums in this band I put together with my roommate at Juilliard, my dear friend Michael Kamen. But um, my mother was a a kindergarten teacher where she had to play the piano for the kids for the rhythmic part of the class. So uh, they wanted me to take piano lessons and some TV show I wanted to watch that was past my bedtime. And they said, well, if you take piano, we'll let you watch the show and I said okay and and really got into music and I wanted to play an instrument that was you know something you could carry around in a case you know so big uh the drums that's not that wasn't good a piano certainly not <clears throat> so I chose the and auditioned for this high school in Manhattan called the high school of music and art and got into that and now that's at Lincoln Center and I had a oboe teacher at a private oboe teacher who <clears throat> was a teacher at Juilliard and suggested I try out for that and I did and got into that and uh, Michael Kamen was my roommate there and he also played the Oboe and we put together this band where he played oboe and keyboard, and I played oboe and drums, which is an odd combination. And uh, uh, the group lasted five years. I did this record thing that wasn't terribly successful, and moved to California to try to get my first job, and I did. And uh, my wife's family was involved in show business, actors and actresses, and they introduced me around. And finally, something happened, and. There you go.
0: What do you think of the music from other composers, groups that did mostly electronic scores like Vangelos, Tangerine Dreams or John Carpenter? Had you role models when you started doing electronic soundtracks in the 80s?
1: Well, there's one person that's maybe not quite as big a name as the people you've mentioned, but uh, um, his name is Brad Fidel. he did some movies. He did uh, Terminator, the first Terminator, maybe the second one too, I think, two mm-hmm. ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he did a lot of TV shows uh, in, around from the mid to late 80s. And he was a big, big deal. He was getting all these shows and people were talking about him. And I I thought I better listen to some of this and see what it's all about. And I did and I, I found the music remarkably simple, and somewhat primitive because all the sample instruments and electronics weren't anything like they are now. But there was something about that sound that obviously struck a chord with people. And I, instead of just dismissing it as nothing, I, like some of my colleagues did, I, I thought, gee, there's something to this. And at that time, you, you really had to start making a choice. If you're going to go in that, electronic home studio world or just stay doing it traditionally the live players. So I chose to do that. And it took me a few years to really get proficient on that in that world. And I'm so grateful I did because it really did, I think, extend my career. And especially when the X-Files came along and no one knew that was going to even when we saw it for the first time, we didn't know it was going to be such a, a big, uh, a big show but I was ready for it at that time with all my bag of tricks etc so it was great for me
2: Do you still use the sequencers that you brought in the 80's uh, if so what's different from sequencers today
1: Well there's this instrument I use, still use now called a syncovir which uh, was actually invented in the in the 60s in the late this thing was very expensive when i first got it and you know the company went out of business eventually and i have a few of them they're inexpensive but you have to go on ebay or some thing like that to find some and luckily for me there's a guy used to be with the company who lives in the area that when i have a problem with it he can come and service it but for me you know all these things are, are such a personal thing they're so many more uh, choices now or just, you know, a myriad of choices of what you can use for samplers, and, you know, and setups and everyone has their own special combination, but I still love this thing because for me, it's just drop dead <clears throat> fast. And it's important for me that the technical stuff be as easy, as simple and and fast as possible. So it gets me to the music, you know, faster so I could make the deadlines etc so it might be sort of old school uh to a lot of people but i can still use other uh computers which i do that have the the up the the newer architecture like the like contact and logic and things that store sounds but still because of midi quickly come up on the my keyboard so it's I think a good combination of new and old. Huh? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Would you like uh, to have more um, of your music performed by an orchestra or is electronic music just a Mark Snow sound?
1: Oh, I'd like to, i really like to experiment with writing music not for a TV show or movies and whether it be a live orchestra or chamber group or a combination of electronics and and live players and singers, whatever. Um, but the idea of standing up in front of an orchestra conducting is a thrill that is really a, really a thrilling, wonderful, unique experience. And you know that's I envy you know John Williams so much because that's what he does all the time and they have the budget for him to rehearse these massive film scores and he can just be there for a month or so and, you know, take his time and make it just perfect. And, and then his other career of being, you know, with the Boston pops or, uh, I, I think he's uh, a permanent fixture there. Being able to conduct your music, you know, these suites, combining his great themes, etc., you know, and, I went to one uh, a few months ago at New York Philharmonic and they played his, he he was there conducting and it was, he was like a rock star. It was unbelievable. This guy's 80 years old. He comes out. Everyone's given a standing ovation. You know, they start playing the star Wars and close encounters jaws and, and the people went nuts as if it was, you know, uh, you know, the latest greatest rock and roll band or (laughs) something it was anyway so the answer is i'd love to do more of that
3: Mm
0: -hmm. right what is your favorite instrument within or outside an orchestra and
1: why is that i think uh there's no real favorite it's just what's appropriate to the work you're doing i mean the score you're doing uh I do know, you know, for big film scores, if it wasn't for the French horn, <laughs> there would be a, a real lapse in, uh, in the sound of, of film scores. I think that's a big instrument in terms of, of scoring things, playing loud, soft, bunch of them, solo, whatever. But uh, I really don't have a favorite, it's just what's important, you know, for the moment. Um, you know like what's her name said like uh sarah palin when she was asked about uh what magazine she reads and she said well all of them you know <laughs> they said well which one well i uh, all of them so uh i don't know if you know who that is but it's a political character here in america that's a lot of uh scrutiny etc <clears throat> Anyway,
2: What do you think? Is composing music an art or a
1: craft? I think it's both. I think for me, when there's some wonderful project I'm working on, it doesn't feel like work at all, but I get very inspired by it, and it seems to bring out the best in me. Um, Then when there's projects that, that aren't quite so great you're you have to rely on your craft you know to for the deadline and also <clears throat> i think the uh definition of a professional is someone who always is like i'd say like a eight out of ten never less than that but sometimes can be an 11 <laughs> or uh you know what i mean mm-hmm. so that's it
0: what do you think is the best thing about composing?
1: Well, you can be alone with your thoughts and... Uh, when I'm into it, I really i am so completely... Uh, so concentrated on it that it, it just sort of moves everything else. Time sort of stands still, you know. And, I'm doing this, and sometimes I'll look at my my watch and say, wow, it's, I've been doing this for five hours now, you know, but you're just so involved, and that kind of absorption and involvement is a really unique thing, and when it's something you like, you're really not even aware of time passing, is is great. On the other hand, you're in this sort of golden birdcage where you're alone, and yes, you're you're being successful and having this this career, but you know you pay the price a little bit by you're not out in the world. You know you're not uh, in the world. You know for that for those moments, or days, or hours, or months, or years.
0: <laughs> and is there something that makes it less fun for you?
1: Well, uh, yes, actually. Sometimes when I I'll do an interview with with someone and somewhere at the end of the interview, they'll say that, oh, my gosh, we didn't record any of this. And we have to start from the beginning. So (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. (laughs) No, no. what was it again? What's not fun about doing it, or something? What um, was
0: it? Yeah. Uh, what makes it as well, what makes composing less fun for you?
1: Well, when it's a you know a deadline and you just have to finish no matter what, and you have to come up with something, and uh, sometimes you're not entirely happy with it, but it has to go out the door. It has to get over there. So <clears throat> that's probably. And working with people who are unreasonable and say things that are just not particularly informed, mostly because of their inexperience, you know. What was your first assignment as a film music composer? There's this thing called The Rookies. It was a TV series that actually, actually that Elmer Bernstein did the theme to. And uh, my brother-in-law was one of the characters in the show and he was able to get my music to the producer and that's how that happened and that was an orchestral score well a a small probably 35 piece group and I look back on it and remember some of the mistakes I made and I teach this class at NYU in New York every May and I try to show them and and tell them that's uh don't do what i did when i first started here's why etc but the idea that it was accepted and i got asked back that's pretty that's pretty great i'm proud of that and lucky too
0: and do you like or enjoy writing whole themes for characters or settings, or do you try more to describe the mood of a specific movie or episode series?
1: Well, uh, so many of the so much of the time it's about writing a theme or a piece for a situation rather than specific characters, which is extremely old-fashioned and doesn't work much these days. i Behind. You know, someone comes in and they're happy, la, 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 and then they, you know, they get killed the next moment. You have to write the same theme but change it. It's, it's very old-fashioned and I don't think is very effective e- either. So I tend to write more about what the mood of the situation is and when the right moment happens, it's very effective to bring in a theme but, you know, not... You know five or six confusing themes and you don't know what's this what's this all about so it's mostly about you know the situation and if you can put the theme in in a strategically correct spot that's very good and sometimes a theme is not a melody but rather a sound or a, a texture or something that has a signature quality to it that people remember
0: Your music has a very characteristic sound. Is that something that you like to maintain?
1: Uh, I never think about that. You know, about, well, I have to keep my sound going here. I just work. And usually, after you've been doing it for a while, you do develop maybe a signature thing that people will hear and understand. Many composers like that. You can hear... From Bernard Herrmann to Jerry Goldsmith to James Horner to every, you know, a lot of uh, composers. I think that's when you get to that place in your career and life. It's a good. It's a good thing. In
2: your career, you have written so much great scores. Mm-hmm. Are you satisfied with the way
1: of your career is going? Well, um, you know, I've I sort of need a a nap actually (laughs) I've done so much that uh, sometimes I, I look back and I think, wow, that's enough for three lifetimes or three careers. And so the idea of, of not doing, you know, the weekly episodic shows is kind of appealing where you can really concentrate on something and then take some time off and something new comes along and you can, regenerate yourself and you know r- refresh and not have to just you know a constant barrage of that gets that has its own challenges to it.
0: You worked with your friend Michael Kamen on the music for Where Dreams May Come. Um, after the score by Annie Morricone was rejected can you tell us something about working on the score?
1: Um, actually i i didn't work on it with michael but we had we had wrote this song in our days with the band and it was a very nice ballad simple quiet song and he got the assignment and he called me and he said you know we can or i can use this the song we wrote together you know years ago in the score um, and Use it as a theme, and then I'm also I'm gonna get this rock and roll band to to redo it and sing it at the end credit or something, or or maybe during the movie as well. I didn't I don't remember. So I just you know I didn't have to show up for meetings or write anything. I'd done my part already, and just waited for him to call and say, well, it's working out great. So. You'll, when you go to the movies and you see this, you'll hear it and you're getting credit and it's all good, okay?
0: Yeah, in 2009 you had the chance to conduct music by Jerry Goldsmith for the Film music Festival in Tenerife. What was the experience uh, like for you since you list Jerry Goldsmith's music for Planet of the Apes as the starting point of your film music career?
1: It was a fantastic thrill for me because I remember seeing that movie for the first time. It was the first movie score I ever heard that incorporated this real, what do you call it, serial, aleatoric, avant-garde approach uh, to a film score. And it was so thrilling to me because I love that kind of music. And it was the first time i'd ever heard it on a score and that really got me you know thinking about this seriously i oh i really want to do this you know um and then having the opportunity to see the score and conduct it with a big orchestra god that was spectacular you know to be able to relive that experience when i first heard it to the present or the time when i conducted it and heard it and saw what he did and saw the notes. It was it was just amazing. and I felt so comfortable because I sort of knew the music, you know, and uh, it was great. Greatest.
0: At the end of the 90s, you had several shows running at the same time. X-Files, Millennium, Lone Gunman, Harsh Realm. And other projects, did you compose, for example, the X fast in the morning, and for Millennium in the evening, or what was it like?
1: I would never do, for whatever reason, two shows and uh, uh, two different shows in one day. I would concentrate on one show and try to finish that, and go on to the next, and so forth and so on. I wanted to kind of clear my mind, and then I would have to set up my palette and my group of instruments differently so I didn't want to have to keep going back and forth and taking the time to reset the whole uh, program you know which does take time so that was my approach.
0: And how many time get you for uh, one episode?
1: Well anywhere from eight days to five days to three days to two days depending on uh, the schedule but The three days and two days are very rare, but they do happen. But it's usually that seven days, six days, somewhere in that world. And you really have to be super disciplined to to do this. You know, you have to to figure out how much music is in the show Mm -hmm. that you divide by a number of days (laughs) before they need it. And you say, oh, I have to write three minutes today or five minutes or ten minutes today and ten minutes tomorrow. And if you miss one day... You're doubled up, and it gets even more difficult. I look back on it all, and i it's really hard to grasp how I did it, but somehow I i was able to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was very great music for the X-Files. And Thank you. Is it true that you whistle the X-Files theme or the melody?
1: Well, that story circulated for quite a while but, you know, if I could tell you the the, the truth is out there and I will tell you the truth <laughs> <laughs> which is when I wrote the theme I was looking for an instrument to play the melody and I tried everything, couldn't come up with anything and finally I tr- uh, this whistle sound and my synthesizer came up and I said, oh, let's try that. I did that. My wife came in and said, that's great. That's really great. Go with that. Do you think so? Yeah, it's fantastic. Okay. So she also was a, my wife is a really good whistler. I I told people she whistled along with it. Someone said I whistle. Someone said it was a combination of everything. But the truth is that it was just this sound on the synthesizer called Whistling Joe. And
0: what was the story for the theme? So how did you come to the idea for the theme?
1: Well, I had written actually four themes before the final one. And Chris Carter, the producer, sent, creator, sent uh, many CDs of music that he wanted me to listen to and say, I like the drums on this one, I like the keyboard on this, I like the singing on this, I like the, strings on, you know, all these different things, and there's a mountain of stuff, and okay, listen to that, and uh, I did four of them that were sort of generic, what you'd think would be a theme for a sci-fi show, loud and fast and scary, and they were okay, but nothing remarkable, and I said, look, why don't you, let me just try something from scratch, has nothing to do with what I've done so far. And let's check that. I said, okay. So he leaves, and as soon as he leaves, I put my elbow down on the keyboard accidentally, and there was an effect on the piano that was a reverb effect, a delay echo effect, where there was this figure that went da da dum da da dum but with this effect, it sounded like da 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 And I thought, oh, that's a great accompaniment. And then let's find a melody, found the melody, put the whistle sound on. And as I told you earlier, that's how it happened.
0: Mm -hmm. There's a certain piece of music from the X-Files episode Roland, a piano piece that reappears in the Millennium episode Blood Relatives. Was that because both episodes are about lonely outsiders?
1: Well, actually... That's a nice sort of intellectual interpretation of it, but when that Millennium episode came up, somehow this Roland theme came to mind and I just dragged it over, redid it with a different kind of piano sound and orchestration. And that's how that came to be. And nothing particularly interesting on the (laughs) front.
0: And we have it almost. Um, uh, there's also some piece by Tchaikovsky worked into your music in the X-Files and Millennium. Do they
1: have a certain meaning within the
0: context? or?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Every once in a while I would hear some classical piece and think, oh, I can do a little hint of that melody or of that theme and use it in a scene, and I've done that a few times, and it's been very effective, and a lot of the people here hear that don't know what it is from, and they say, oh, that's nice, you know, not realizing they've just heard, you know, Beethoven, or Mozart, or <laughs> Tchaikovsky. I said, well, you don't know it, but I didn't write that. Well, who did, well, you know, so <laughs> that's, always, uh, that's always fun to do from time to time.
0: For the X-Files and Millennium you created your own samples of sounds and noises. Um, what was the inspiration for that? Or did you just experiment with certain sounds until you found something that
1: seemed to fit to the scene? The, uh, with the in, this thing I have, this instrument I have, <clears throat> you can take sounds that you'd recognize and by altering them, by lowering the pitch or the attack Instead of hearing boing, you'd hear, you know, or lower, like, wow. You know, it, it changes these things in such an inspiring way. And I thought, oh, wow, this is great. You know, no one will know what this is. And no one did know what they were. And they were unique to me. And now there are so many libraries of sounds and rhythms and stuff. Everyone, you know, gets the newest one and you hear it all over the scores and then after, you know, three, four months, oh, that's old hat, go on to the next group of stuff. But <clears throat> when you can do your own thing and you don't share it <laughs> with anyone, then it's unique to you. And um, it's not that I'm against sharing things, because still, you know, you have a an orchestra and you're told there two composers told to do this fast suspense but with melody and percussion and it'll be two you know totally different things just like you know you sit at your computer and you're a synthesizer or whatever and they describe something and or here a are a bunch of sounds you know abstract uh, sounds make something with it. And even though the sounds are the same, you probably wouldn't recognize the pieces, the different pieces, just because of the thought process or creativity, what goes into it.
0: Even almost 15 years since the show Millennium ended, there is a still a uh, growing fan base for the show with fan work like Back to Frank Black. Is a Millennium movie still possible since Lance Henriksen and Chris Carter are talking about it from time to time, or will this just remain a wish?
1: Well, that's something I never know. You know what's what's going on. All I do know that the group, the Back to Frank Black group, with uh, my friend Troy and uh, these these guys who are so into it, who are so keen on on the show and they actually they've come up with this book about the making of the show and the background of the show and who's in it and what was involved and you know it's this thick and uh they're the ones behind trying to get enough attention and the fans to to you know comment enough about let's make another movie uh no i mean not another movie a movie and that would be that would be pretty exciting. Um, although I haven't heard anything more specific, it would just be it would be fantastic. Can you tell us something about
0: working on Millennium? You said that for the main titles, a uh, real violin player performed the piece. In the episode, the violin was sampled. Is that the only way of being capable to create a certain sounds, a certain amount of music every week?
1: Uh you mean and not by not having live players is what you're saying right yes that's (laughs) that's a big that's a good point um you know the other thing is that the sample violin is 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 a very good sound but it's not necessarily trying to make it sound like a real violin as as much as possible but rather something that sort of sounds like a violin but just works well with all the other stuff I have and you know I, I think when people go about trying to copy the instruments as close as they can you always hear that it's not the real thing you know so I'm you know I'll have strings and harp and piano so, so and so and, but I think the idea is the music and the and the mix and the sound of it is more Important to me than trying to take you know days emulating the right clarinet or bassoon etc. If you
2: favorite episodes from the X Files and Millennium,
1: favorite? Yes, episodes. Every time someone answers asks me that, you know, the first thing that pops into my mind, whatever episode it is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there isn't any one. I mean, uh, there was, you know. What popped into my mind right now was the, uh, oh, God, the, the story about the the family in the middle of the woods who, <clears throat> where the mother had no arms and legs and was put under the bed, and the mm. two or three sons were these horrible, you know, creatures from birth defects that went through the town and kidnapped and killed and. That was one spooky (laughs) show and the one about the the circus group Mm -hmm. where the twin would be would pop out of one of the characters and crawl off in the night and do their dirty work and come back and reattach. And and they had all these these actual well-known, you know, sideshow entertainers, the tattoo man, the glass swallowing guy, sword swallower and, and all of that. Uh, there was some millennium episode oh god so many great ones of where they were these sort of sirens these nymphs off in the woods and I remember using these operatic samples of sopranos and um, there was a character who was in many movies who, many Italian gangster movies who was the main character and character uh, God, you know, I'm. if I had the list in front of me, I could, I apologize that I can't just zero in on, on something. that was quite a while ago, but uh, there were very few bad X-Files and Millennium episodes. I'll, I can say that very few. In fact, they'd call up a lot of times and say, oh, this ep- episode sucks. It's really horrible. You've got to help it, you know, and I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll help it. And I'll get it and I'd look at it and go, yow. They think this is bad? I mean, what do they think is, you know, I I didn't quite get that, but, you know, the stuff that happened before I got it, you know, the arguments and the reshoots and someone didn't want to do this and, you know, whatever. I wasn't privy to that.
0: The popularity of Millennium is still pretty high for a show that got canceled 15 years ago. Uh, double CD with your music from the show was released by La La Land um, and fans asking for more music for the show. Is that something that could happen or do you think that is that this double CD was the last words on releasing music from Millennium?
1: Well, I think that was all of it. <laughs> no, I don't. I, uh, they did a four CD X-Files and they're doing another four CD X Files, but Millennium, no one's been talking about any more of that stuff. So don't mm. know.
0: La La Land uh, will release the second volume of your X Files music this year. Were you surprised about the success of the first volume and um, that so still so many people love the show and the music?
1: You know, I wasn't. I was pleasantly surprised that did it did well. I didn't know. People would go for like four CDs. That's a lot of music, you know, and it's not really, you know, like dinner music or, you know, background music. You really have to be a fan of the show to put it on there and and sit there and get, try to, you know, maybe relive your experiences watching it in the past. So uh, I guess pleasantly surprised, certainly, you know. But, you know, I I remember seeing you you talk about someone like the example of Steven Spielberg, who is, you know, one of the most successful directors in the history of filmmaking. And when a movie of his comes out, apparently, and he gets all nervous, is it going to be a success or not? And when it's when it's a success, he is like ecstatic as if he it was his first movie, which I find a great, great Metaphor, you know, and when it doesn't do well, he's really bummed out. Now that sounds normal, but you think a guy who has billions of dollars and all the success, you know, but when it gets to, to that world, it's, it's not about you know the, the money anymore. It's just about doing a uh, being validated, doing a, some product that that's being accepted. And same for John Williams, he really, really. It's all about the music for him. Really, you know, it's fun to have the Academy Awards and the nominations all over his room and whatever. But, I mean, what do you do with that stuff? You know, it's fun. You get it. And it's fun for the night, maybe two weeks. Now, then it wears off. And, all right, now what do we do? You keep writing, (laughs) you know, and you keep doing what you do. Keep doing what you like, you know. So, you know, the success of of that X-Files thing, that's great. You know, but I can't, I don't walk around going, wow, they sold so many x file CDs. Boy, isn't that great? I am so happy and I'm, you know, this is great. I'm going to call everyone I know and then we're going to have a party and I'm going to talk. You know, it's over, (laughs) you know, happily. But, you know, it becomes a non-tangible thing. It's, but I'm not... Pooing it, it's uh, it's great. Mm-hmm. About yeah. about it. Um,
0: and the sampler, the snow files, will be released again as a revised and remastered version on iTunes. <laughs> Are there any plans for more releases of that kind, like expanding some uh, of your already released albums?
1: I don't know. I have this friend who I've known for a long time who has put out a, a lot of CDs of some of my stuff. Up called uh sound score or something anyway his name is ford Thaxton. i don't know if you oh you know that, who that it's, is it's, yeah okay so uh he's always calling me about hey what about this one and this one we didn't do this i said okay go do it be my guest of course but uh well, I'm, I'm kind of interested in, in doing some music, you know, not for film or TV shows and really, really seeing if I can do it. First of all, you know, it's a whole other discipline and it's a whole other way of music thinking and creating. And that to me is is kind of a, a challenge, you know. And I'm talking, not necessarily writing some great symphony, but, you know, even if it's an electronic uh Ambient soundscape type of work or works to really, you know, concentrate on it to uh, You know where there's no deadline you can take your time that to me would be That's kind of sexy, you
3: know,
1: (laughs) that that would be fun Or maybe incorporating some live players some special you know, very odd instruments like harmonica, or... <clears throat> I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, other things that would, you wouldn't necessarily think of right off the bat. Is there
2: any plans of releasing more of oh. your uh, TV work on CD? For example,
1: Ghost Whisperer or Blue Bloods? Well, um, yeah, this, this company from this Michael, you probably know this guy too, Michael McHale Carlson. Mm-hmm. You know who has a soundtrack label, movies media I don't really know. Yeah, I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Anyway, he he does a lot of a lot of movies, especially you know that are movies that aren't in the mainstream but have interest interesting music. But he wanted to do. Something for Blue Bloods, so I, there's beginning to be enough music in that show to make sense to put something out. So The Ghost Whisperer, that's too complicated. There are two or three studios who own that, and we we tried that, and that's that's not going to
2: mm-hmm. happen. And what are your next projects?
1: Well, this Blue Bloods I'm doing now, and this new show, this elementary show, which is a Sherlock Holmes thing. Mm-hmm. Lucy Lewis Dr Watson which is pretty pretty cute and uh i think another movie the well, the french excuse me the french director Alain René um next summer i think so uh it's it's okay
3: <laughs>
1: Great. i'm happy for my my friend Michael Dana Dana who won the Golden Globe last night for The Life of Pi. Did you hear that or see that? Yes, yeah, I yeah, yeah. see it. Life in yeah. life. <laughs> TV. Yeah. Is you should interview him. That was a that was a great score. I I thought. We tried. We tried. We tried. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably walking around like, you know, just won the thing and Academy Award nomination. Mm,
0: first we have to make contact with them but we um, not give up. <laughs> no. Do you have a um, dream project, a movie or a TV show or something else that you would love to score or make music for? Uh,
1: you know, I, I, I think that this is interesting in a way Thomas Newman did the great score for the Skyfall, James Bond, Mm -hmm. but in my opinion, when you're doing that action stuff, I think there's very little room for, well, well, I don't know little room, but it's it's more compressed in terms of doing something completely extraordinarily different. You know, because someone like him, I think he relies or he has relied and, and lucky for him. And he's had these fantastic projects where there's like anything goes, you know, you any combination of instruments or music where it's really w- a wide open palette. You know, if you're doing James Bond music and everyone's running and jumping and action in this, I think, it, you know, obviously. For those movies, it has to be fast and it has to be loud. And that right there narrows it down <laughs> a bit, you know. But, uh, you know, uh, American Beauty and, you know, some of his other things that are more cerebral, psychological, quiet, you really can open, you know, get his, be more imaginative and creative in my opinion. So that's the kind of thing I would look forward to.
0: Yeah, Charles Texton, uh, Texton wants to know uh, what are the chances of a Nowhere Man CD? Um, and uh-huh. he says he loves your work and thank you.
1: Um, probably there's no chance at all, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> I think that's. Uh, <clears throat> there was. There might have been something out on it too a, a while ago, but they either pulled it or. I don't think that's, unfortunately, in the in store. So I'm sorry. tell Justin I'm, I apologize for that.
2: Uh, Lily Dash will ask, since we all love your music so much, was wondering what composers you admire.
1: Are you talking about film composers or... Com- or uh, from... Nice composers. <laughs> she composers? What uh, composers? Well, uh, for... Since I played the oboe, I so much of the music for the oboe was the Baroque and Renaissance early music, which I just love Mozart. But that section of romantic music like Brahms and Schumann and Mendelssohn kind of, I wasn't a big fan of that. I, I, I am more now. I appreciate it more now. And, And then you jump to the modern, the modernists. Well, Shostakovich, Prokofiev, Ravel, Stravinsky, uh, And the people who are alive now, like, like John Adams, who I think is pretty remarkable and brilliant. Um, in terms of of film scores, um, I don't know if you hear that. There are guys working on our living room next door. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <clears throat> but uh, in film scores, I'm just a, a huge fan of James Newton. Howard, um, he gets a sound that I don't think anyone gets just the recorded mix sound. And no matter, you know, if you I I think mostly his, his music is is really very strong, but the way it sounds in the movie houses and on CD is really remarkable. Um, You know, the, course, John Williams and uh, Bernard Herman I met him actually uh, I met him here's a good story I met him on the day he died he was doing a movie yes he, he was doing a movie called you remember taxi driver mm-hmm. Robert De Niro it was a very violent New York City movie and he was, somebody invited me to the recording session, and he was conducting, and he was, he was old, and, um, and then he had someone else take over conducting for him, but he didn't seem sickly or anything. And, and Scorsese, Martin Scorsese, who was director, was giving him, you know, he said, oh, you know, Bernie, can you make it a little louder here, or this part? Oh, that's perfect, thank you, okay. Then there was a break. And someone brought me over to introduce me to him. And I thought that was pretty good. And he said, you know, he was a gruff, he was a kind of a curmudgeon, a real kind of rough guy. And and said, Who are you? And I said, Who I was. And what do you do? And I said, Well, I, I write music now for TV shows. TV? That's shit. That's crap. You don't do that, TV. And he grabbed me by the hand, pulled me over at the corner of the room, went through his briefcase. He pulled out this baton that was all mushed up. He put it in my hand and he said, "Here, take this. Now get out of here. Don't do any of that TV shit." <laughs> okay. So that was that. I'm riding home in the driving home on the freeway in L.A. <clears throat> Newsflash: Noted film composer Bernard Herman found dead in his Universal City hotel room. And I thought, holy cow! You know what? What a scene! And I, I tell that to. People a lot, and I still have this this thing in a very safe place.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, wow, that was that was quite a a moment.
0: <laughs> well, another question from Lily Derschel wants to know what was the first record you ever bought, uh, and and she says uh, hers was Elvis. We were Las Vegas the year he passed away.
1: Oh. I think there was some. You know, some of that early rock and roll before Elvis. Uh, I never felt more like singing the blues and going to find her and all this sort of <clears throat> old rock and roll stuff. I mean, if you want to know the first, but then I got into, you know, discovering classical music and and what uh, Aaron Copland and what listening to the, which I can still listen to, five times a day, the Rite of Spring of Stravinsky. It's one of the most brilliant pieces ever written in the modern world. Um, And if you listen to many film scores, everyone steals some ideas from that. So uh, that's it. That's it, yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Mina Rhodes wants to know about your score for the X-Files, for the future is one of the best and most underrated scores of the 90s. It is also missing many of the best cues from the 1989's... 18... Soundtrack album. Um, Are there any plans to release an updated or expanded version? No. <laughs> oh,
1: <yeah. laughs> I'm, I, I'm sorry. I don't know how else to answer that, but... Uh... I'm, I'm I'm flattered by her comment and uh, question, and I wish I could say, oh well, yes, we're going to remix it and get the outtakes, and but unless I do it myself or I'll, I get Ford or Michael Gerhardt from La La Land, uh, but then it's politics with the studio and and it's expensive, etc., etc., you know. Mm-hmm. So I have to. Uh, Sorry to say no. Mm.
0: The question from Francesca Marchini is um, The X-Files was a revolutionary show for television and we can see proof on that in modern TV shows. Do you believe it affected the way of think and or compose a soundtrack too? And eventually how?
1: Okay, now say the last part again how it affected uh, TV shows that are on now, etc. You know, um,
3: do you safe. believe
0: in fact the way of to think and or compose a soundtrack too and
1: oh. actually how? And you're talking about music.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, every... Uh, I think that the, the scores I did for the X-Files, so many of them were based on <clears throat> a sort of modern avant-garde music language that I don't think many people understood or knew how to necessarily do and when we started off the X-Files they uh, Chris Carter said we just want just sustained and a bed nothing fancy so I did that for a while maybe eight shows and And I was getting, you know, bored with that. And I said, look, I'm going to try something else. And they said, OK. So I started getting more involved and intricate. And for whatever reason, I mean, luckily for me, they all liked it and encouraged me to keep going in that direction. And I think that some of that idea has uh, been picked up by you know other composers and every once in a while i'll hear something whether it's a sound or some music i said gee that's they must have been just listening to the x-files or something but i think it it was kind of uh you know a bridge to a new kind of musical thought in a way more uh, contemporary you know i'm mean, so much of music for these shows now is so much as uh you know, rhythm-oriented and drums and and percussion, and, and that's good, great and appropriate. Um, but sometimes I hear the, the music sometimes sounds sort of ordinary where the chords are the, the same, but they try to just make <clears throat> the mixes of the music be so wonderful. You know, I think there are a few composers, and I won't mention any names, who rely on that rather than the music itself, but rather the, s- the sound of it, you know, the mixed recording, um, which when it's done right is incredibly impressive, but if you really listen to it, uh, you know, sometimes the music is sort of so-so. Mm-hmm.
0: Kimon uh, Keramidas gives us the question It's rumored that the X-Files will be released on Blu-ray starting from 2013. In many film releases the Blu-ray format has been uh, used to add an additional audio track with the music only. Would that be a good opportunity to make available the entirety of your X-Files score? Um, Would that be something you could
1: pursue? Well, I would love it, but again, <laughs> you know, again, you're dealing with you know the owners of the music, and/or you know, the publishers, which is the Fox Studios, and and if they if they thought there was you know they could sell it and people would buy it, they'd do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's all it's based on, you know. And I think it feels as if now. You know, when I go some, to some strange places and people who aren't big TV fans or into uh, watching TVs or movies and TV shows or movies and and they say, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I write music for TV shows like anyone I'd know. And I'd say the X-Files. You know, and some of the people who are about 60 and over might say, gee, I haven't seen that, I don't know that. And then I'll say it to someone who's 20 and 30 you know, and much younger. Oh, sure, sure, we get it all the time. I get it, blah, 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 you know, and I go to Netflix and I get it, you know, and I think, wow, it's, maybe it's making a comeback. Maybe, because they're talking about that. They're talking about, like, a reboot, like they did with Star Trek, with a, you know, a younger cast, and so, you know, when shows are successful, you know, like Hawaii Five O, that's a perfect example, you know, and the, uh, It was Star Trek movies, certainly, and, uh, well, but you know what Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, yeah, so that might happen. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Start all over again.
0: The last question from a fan, Francis Moore's. Question is, uh, can you tell a little bit about the climates of television, television scoring, when you started on X Files and the challenges you faced on scoring the first
1: seasons? Well, the, whenever you start a new show, it's very challenging because no one knows really what to say or what how to guide you. You know, we're all just throwing things up against the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, so you know you're dealing with the producers and they have to deal with the studio and the studio would say, oh no, the music should it should be more music and so on. They say more or less music or should be louder or no, no music when this guy is talking and only, only music when the, when the female character is talking. <clears throat> and you try that and that doesn't work and then we switch it around and usually by the 13th show of a new, of a new TV show, then it starts to fall into place. Uh, You know, so that's a, that's a challenge. You know, you have to be super collaborative and have a good attitude about it, you know. Um, But the time thing is really wicked hard. I mean, very, very difficult. Uh, You know, you really have to forego your life in a way because You've got to be sort of like a like a doctor, like on standby all the time. You know, someone, oh, we need to fix this. It needs, we need to do it. You know, so that's that's extremely challenging. And uh, it really takes experience. You know, the more you do it, the better you are at, you know, someone will call up and says, oh, we're not doing it tomorrow. We're doing it next Thursday. Okay. And you've just, you know, planned your holiday, you know, you think, oh, well, we, but, and, and that happens. And, it, but you have to be, if you really, really want to do it, you have to be ready for these, uh, you know, surprises and roll with it. You know, a lot of people can't do it and just, but you said it was going to be tomorrow. Oh, well, we, you know, we have to change it, but why, you know, uh oh, that's, they don't do too well.
3: <laughs> hmm
0: I call five terms, and you tell me just briefly what comes to your mind, okay? Oh,
1: yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, film music?
1: Film music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the answer. No, I don't. no wait a minute. Uh, the idea of knowing that any combination of musical instruments or sounds can be employed and put together to make a soundtrack for a film and it's solely up to the composer's imagination because we're not doing a concert of mozart or stravinsky where it's the the group is set you know but it really is since it's a new recording you know, it's not, let's use an orchestra, a normal orchestra, well, not necessarily. Let's have, you know, five African drummers, you know, a a harpsichord, uh, a bell, you know, different bell ensemble from Sweden, you know, uh, take a sample with permission from the great German composer Hans-Werner Henze. You might have heard of him. <laughs> um, gosh, you know, and then put it all together in a big soup. I think uh, that's what I think of when I think of film music.
3: Mm-hmm. Great. Sometimes that's it's
1: fine. not music, but film sound.
0: <laughs> yeah, the second is orchestra.
1: Well, again... You know, like the second, like what I just said. There's the traditional orchestra setup, um, which is dictated by the piece that was written. Whether it's the most modernist uh, available piece at the moment, or something way back from uh, the whatever baroque or the earlier, even earlier. But that's, those ensembles are, are fixed and set. And so there could be orchestras of different sizes. The uh, Robert Schumann's Spring Symphony is almost as big or bigger than the Stravinsky Rite of Spring, which is one of the largest groups of instruments in any piece <laughs> so far. Oh, no, except for... Of all funny things, Hans Werner Henze wrote a piece for something like three or four giant orchestras at once, but you have to find the pl- the right size <clears throat> place to perform this thing. So, that's it. Okay. Favorite movie? It all depends what the last one I saw, you know. <laughs> what was the last? Oh, <laughs> um, thank I mean, Argo, that was a great movie, but I don't know about my favorite. God, I have favorites spanning the whole the whole universe, and as soon as I think of one, you know, another pops up, uh, Cinema Paradiso, the Italian movie. Uh, oh, I don't know why I... Woody Allen movie that was done... Years ago, called "Husbands and Wives," that I just I could watch that eight million times. The subject matter was so great, and uh, I'm I'm not being too good with this now. I apologize, so I, I'll think about it and I'll get back to you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Hollywood. And that's a that's a good one. Uh, I think for the most part. Hollywood, you're talking about the show business part of Hollywood, I imagine, Um, plus the environment and the weather and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. When you're young and successful out there, there's no more fun place to be, I think, in, in the world. As you get older... You can see some of the transparencies and, well, you know, it it depends on personal taste, but the things that used to be so jazzy and fun and exciting and wonderful seem to get replaced by, by different things. So, I mean, right now I live in Connecticut, which is as far away as it gets. You know, the weather is different, you know. There's no real showbiz people here, and uh, so forth and and so on. But boy, when I was out there and doing the X Files, it was fun. I <laughs> I have to say, there's no question about it. Uh, but I'm happy, you know, where I am now. And you know, it's sort of a, a place for you, most part, and the showbiz part of it for younger people. You know, after 60 or 70. Eh, you know, mm-hmm. unless you're, uh, you know, Spielberg or you know, someone like that, it's it gets it's a it's different. You know, it's a, you walk into shops and stores and restaurants and you're of a certain age and they look at you different. In fact, they don't look at you. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're concentrating on uh, more younger, glamorous group, but. That's actually How it should be,
3: mm.
1: you know. New York, it's it's different. You know, there's you know, it's more there's more generous to the to the total population, mm. I think. So,
0: and yeah, the last words, or three words, um, end of work.
1: The end of work.
0: Mm-hmm. So something like, what do you in your spare time? Oh,
1: I see. Um, you know that's a good question for me because I've been so busy all the time I've never had that much time to concentrate on hobbies or I mean I, I get a chance to, to travel I like that but uh, you know you can't do that on a, you know, every day of the week but uh, I think if i ever really stop i'm i'm concerned about what i what i would do you know i'm trying to think of you know write you know music for performing or uh, you know build furniture or teach or you know there are a lot of ideas you know but so far, when I'm not working, I'm happy just kind of to walk around from room to room <laughs> and kind of relax, you know, and and sit down and look out at the sky. And oh, it's a nice day today, which it is here. I'm looking out. So uh, anyway, uh, I hope I hope I come up with something because I could see that might be a problem <laughs> in the future. So, wish me luck, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. Okay, thank you.